welcome everybody to Bentry Church this morning. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out, our notes out. We're uh, covering uh, Revelation chapter 13. I always want you to bring your Bible uh, and make sure you take notes on that, or even write them in your Bible. Uh, Let me just welcome Greeley, uh, Church on Campus. You guys, uh, we love you guys. Thanks for uh, being a part of this place uh, as we are here in Loveland praying for you. I'm very excited today because we start volume three of Revelation, the series. For the past two years, we've done a series on Revelation. We've worked through this book verse by verse, and after praying about it, we're going to do a tiny bit of kind of review, if you will, uh, and uh, we're going to look at this the same way, but I I don't want to go too far into the review. I want you to be able to go back if you're new and haven't heard the series or just uh, just didn't didn't come during that time, go back and listen to the previous two series. It'll bring you up to date, but I'll, I'll do a little bit of review on that. Uh, This is a different kind of series for us. Um, You know, the book of Revelation is just an odd book. It's not like a regular book, say like Corinthians or uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, It it is a very different book and it's not as easy to pull life application points out of. But what I want you to do is uh, sometimes it just tells the story of God and that's what we need to know. We need to understand who God is his character uh, on that. So I wanted to encourage you to look at those. We break up the series into volumes. This is the volume, uh, the third volume. It's like eating an elephant one bite at a time, right? Um, We do seven weeks and then we take a year off, seven, eight weeks, take a year off and do time frames. The first volume was called Revelation and then we did a tagline, the seven churches, if you remember that. And then we did Revelation last year and we said the throne room of God because that's what we were talking about. Uh, And and the staff said, what do you want to call this one? I said, you know, Revelation uh, stuff just got real. Because this part in Revelation is a scary part. Uh, because here's the thing. Privately, uh, pastors ask me, they say, Paul, what, what on earth are you thinking? Why are you doing a series on Revelation? This is deep water to cover. Uh, and they'll say, are you, are you crazy jumping into the book of Revelation? And I, and I would say, you know, um, here's why. Uh, it comes down to really three big reasons why to cover this book is first is the promise you're going to remember this from our last two volumes but the promise right at the first of the uh, the book is revelation 1 3 blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy i mean that's tells the story uh, but then also and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and who keep what is written in it because the time is near you see what it's saying is i'm blessed because i get to read it to you you're blessed because you get to hear it but there's a caveat in there as well for the hearers to be blessed the hearers also have to keep what the prophecy says uh, and notice right there at the end of the verse because the end is what say it with me near near um this is important. You can read two thoughts into that. One is that it is near physically. I think that that is true. Uh, I, I think we look at the signs of the times. We, we just think uh, Jesus' return is close. But what really Scripture is talking about is everything has been done uh, for Christ's return. He came. 
He died on the cross. He, he was raised again on the third day and ascended back into heaven. Uh, our, our sins have been cleansed if we are believers. Amen? And so everything is done uh, to get ready for this last time, the church age that we are in. So we wait expectantly for Christ's return. And at the very end of the book of Revelation, we see Christ is going, and I'm coming back. And it's going to be soon. I think the second big reason to study this book, if you look closely, is I think the world events are moving quickly uh, into place where the end will come. But, but to be fair, many have thought that and been wrong, haven't they? I mean, many people have tried to put timing on Jesus coming back. We're not doing that at all. In fact, if you have a pastor preaching a, a date when Christ is returning, run from that guy because you know he's not biblical right off the bat. Uh, the big third reason, final reason, uh, for studying the book of Revelation is this, um, is, is that the book, um, studying this book of the Bible, is that you and I are in this book. I mean, it talks about us. And, and no matter if you are a Christian, and hear me, even if you're a non-Christian, you are in this book. And it is a book about the future. It is a book, a prophecy book. And I would just say, don't you want to know if you're a Christ follower, uh, uh, if you're in this book? Well, one more thing I want to remind you of before we get started today. We have four safety uh, rules uh, in this series. We've said this the whole time. We call it the, the roller coaster that is the uh, book of Revelation, the ups and downs. This will keep you safe is number one. The book is full of imagery. Here's the thing. Imagery sometimes can scare people off. But what I want you to know is you can lean into the imagery. Sometimes the imagery is literal, and sometimes it's to be taken figuratively to illustrate a point. But if you lean into the in imagery of this thing, what will happen is that you'll actually be able to go much deeper into the understanding of what the book says. Make sense? So that's number one. Safety rule number two, come every week. Uh, make it a point not to miss church because you will get lost. And if you do miss church uh, and have to miss church, make sure that you catch up uh, on the Bentree app or uh, you can listen at bentreechurch.com and you can watch the messages on that. I'll do my best to try to answer any questions. So if you've got some questions uh, you want to write down on your Connect card, drop those in to the giving baskets. Uh, we'll try to answer those one-on-one -on -one or in uh, the preaching itself. Um, so I want you to do that. Uh, number three, um, leave what you think you know uh, behind. Leave it at the door. Uh, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Here's what I mean. There's a lot of false and bad theology that is floating around the, out there about end times and about the book of Revelation. I, I think, quite frankly, can I just be real honest, it's a lot of times TV preachers that are wanting to make money and manipulate you that have, have brought bad doctrine in. And, and here's the thing. Some of you have ingested that poison and is it affected the way 
you live. So I, I want you to understand, don't just even take what I say. It is take what the Bible says and compare it to Scripture. That's what we mean. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Last one, and then we can start our journey. Safety rule number four, don't let disagreements about interpretation uh, cause any division among believers in the church. Uh, think about it this way. There are open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Uh, open-handed issues are things that good uh, theologians, good Christians come down on both sides of. The Bible uh, leaves some room for interpretation. There is a cre uh, correct way, but we may disagree on that way. Uh, those things like uh, the rapture. Some theologians go, hey, the rapture's gonna happen at the first of the tribulation. Some mid, some go, hey, there is no thing as the rapture. Uh, Christ returns and sets everything right. Uh, that's an open-handed issue. But I'll teach it the way I believe scripture reveals it. I personally believe the rapture happens at the first. That's an open-handed thing. Don't let interpretation, though, drive disunity. Make sense? Now, there's close-handed things not open for negotiation. Christ, Christ Jesus is God's son. Amen? And, and we believe in certain doctrines that are not open to negotiation. Those are worth uh, dividing over. For instance, uh, the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that Jesus was fully God, fully man. Those are all closed-handed things. Now, if you don't believe those things, I'm not saying leave. Get those questions answered, but we're going to teach those as fact. Make sense? Well, here we're ready to start this uh, roller coaster. You ready for the next eight weeks? Uh, keep your hands and feet in inside at all times. Uh, make sure that uh, you secure any lo loose clothing as this roller coaster starts. We're going to jump in, but first, would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we just take a deep breath and we say, teach us. Send your Holy Spirit into this place right now. Speak to our hearts your truth. God, I pray for these people who are lost that may be hearing my words, I pray that their salvation would come through you, Jesus, quickly. Call them from death to life with your spirit. God, I pray for unity around the scripture and that you would guard my mouth from speaking anything that's not from you, God. And God, my prayer is that you would grow us as individuals and as a church into the people you want us to be. Grow us up, Lord. It is in the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God that was slain and uh, has risen. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we pick up today uh, where we left off, uh, but let's recap. This is going to take just a couple of minutes. I, I could call this back to the future like the movie because although we're going back in time, we're still talking about the future. Make sense? We're still talking about the future. Uh, we're going to look back at uh, uh, chapter from chapter 4 to chapter 12 was the last uh, volume in the series that we did. Our point of view indeed uh, is what we are seeing from the eyes of a 90 plus year old disciple he's the last one left and his name is the apostle john he had been a young man when jesus had had been risen from the grave had been crucified and then rose from the grave uh, when he wrote this he was imprisoned on an island in the mediterranean uh, for preaching the gospel the island was called anybody remember 
Patmos, you remember that? Uh, Jesus, uh, the Christ himself, has appeared to John in his old age and uh, given this revelation. John is in his cave on this island and Jesus appears and, and from chapter 4 through chapter 12 is the throne room of God and essentially what is happening is we are seeing the tribulation a seven year period of God's judgment poured out on the world uh, uh, then it switches uh, back and forth from the throne room of God at the same time to what's happening on the earth. Does that make sense? So we're seeing the citizens of heaven, uh, Christians, we're seeing uh, angels, and we'll just say citizens of heaven because there's a lot there, uh, what's happening there, but switches to then what's happening on earth. Uh, By the way, at this point and time, uh, we believe that the rapture has already occurred. And so all the Christians who are in Christ, this is an open-handed thing here, but we teach it, all the Christians who are in Christ, not fake Christians, real ones, have disappeared in the blink of an eye. Jesus had come home, uh, they've all gone, they have appeared in heaven, there are no Christians left on earth. Uh, Remember, this is a future picture. You with me? We believe all those on earth are true believers are in heaven. No one left on earth except unsaved, uh, the tribulation. This is the time where God does two big things in the tribulation. He pours his wrath out on the earth like never before. He pours it out, but at the same time, uh, even although all the Christians are in heaven now, he begins a revival and 144,000 uh, Jewish believers, Hebrews, become Christians during this time and they are supernaturally taken care of. They're not killed and they become evangelists that spread out over the world. Check this out. What happens, you'll remember this, is they start teaching the gospel and a worldwide uh, revival happens. First, the Jews, millions of Jews, come to know Christ, the real Christ, and become Christians during this time. And then second, millions, possibly, check this out with a B, billions are saved uh, through the Gentile or the, non, uh, the non-Jewish believers, come to a saving faith. Now, during these seven years that we just studied, as uh, wrath is poured out on the earth, Christians experience uh, that people that, that come to know Christ, these new Christians, experience a tremendous uh, suffering. Satan goes after these people. They are persecuted, and the more they are persecuted, the more the body of Christ goes. Uh, They are killed in mass for believing Jesus Christ to be their Lord. At the same time, there is massive evil unleashed on the earth, unlike we've ever seen before. God, hear me, God is still sovereign. He still controls, and yet he has allowed, during this seven-year period, Satan to start to pour out evil through this. So you've got this massive revival going on, but evil at an unprecedented level. 
We end our, ended our last volume with chapter 11, chapter 12, tells the story, you'll remember, of the two uh, witnesses, Old Testament prophets, we believe, that come from heaven, witness uh, on the streets of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Indeed, they are killed, and they are left for three and a half days dead. And the whole world sees. Now, just to remind you, this is the first time in history where there have been uh, cameras on the Temple Mount that could see 24-7 and broadcast through the internet. First time in history. And that's what the Bible talks about because on the third day they are raised back to life. God breathes life into these three and they are raised and similar to Jesus, raised back up into heaven. Make sense? Make sense? Then that next picture, chapter 12, uh, is to be taken figuratively. It's a lot of image with a dragon, and what it is telling the story is between the battle between good and evil, the battle between Satan and God, and it's really not a battle. Satan is thrown down to earth. It tells the, the story of the Bible, if you will, uh, through imagery in just one chapter, kind of a microcosm there. Uh, but here's what I want you to see. Um, Chapter 13 is where we're going to pick it up. Verse 1, John describes what he sees. And remember, this is, this is crazy stuff here. I want you to see it. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Can we just agree that this is crazy sounding to us? It is. But remember, lean in to the imagery. Did you ever feel like you're reading part of the Bible and it just kind of shifted. You're like, I'm not sure what has happened. The Bible just shifted here. Because over chapter 4 to chapter 12 was talking about the tribulation. It goes through the tribulation from God's point of view and from the throne room of God. Now it just shifted. It went like the old typewriters, ding, 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 you know, like that. It just went back to the first of the tribulation. And now it's going to tell it from uh, the perspective of what is happening with the evil. Satan's point of view. Does this make sense? So we see prophetically into the future what's happening with Satan. Um, the revelation that Jesus is showing the Apostle John is now going to show the same time frame we just covered in the last volume. Lots of imagery. Don't, don't freak out about this. Uh, don't let me lose you. The Apostle John writing in A.D. 96 is describing the Antichrist. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right? You think, no, really. That's what he's describing here. Let's clarify the term Antichrist, meaning literally against Christ, so in a very real way, there's been lots of different antichrists. Uh, you know, millions, if you think about it, people that have been against Christ. But this is a specific person uh, I want you to see. Uh, but he uses the term beast here. John does. And here's what I want you to write down. The name beast means monster. In other words, it's this con uh, conglomeration. You see the different heads, and we're going to see crowns, and he's going to have different body parts. It, it's this monster. It's a terrifying thing here. But I, I can hear you right now. I go, Paul, 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 Paul. Uh, then uh, there are no monsters. Uh, I beg to differ. I think there are monsters. 
It's like, do you remember the, the movie Pirates of the Caribbean? Y'all remember that? Pirates of the Caribbean. Miss Turner, do you remember the young lady? She's on the, the ghost pirate ship, the Black Pearl, and she sees all this stuff going on. She doesn't believe it. She goes, uh, she says, I don't believe in ghost stories. And what does Captain Barbosa say? He says, you best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner, because you're in one. <laughs> and that's us too. You're in one. As seriously as I can be, that is us here. And yet, for those of us in Christ Jesus, we don't have to worry at all because we're safe. Just, uh, can I just say, God has some of you here today because he, he wants you to change the way you treat Christianity. Uh, see, some of you hearing my voice today, you treat Christianity like an ingredient that you go, hey, if I add a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Jesus into my life, maybe I'll, maybe I'll lose weight. Maybe I'll get more sales. Maybe uh, my marriage could be just a little happier. Maybe everything I could achieve, the American dream, if I added a little Jesus. And yet Jesus is going, I don't want that. I want to be king or nothing. So I, I think you're going to see Jesus in a new way today. But th if this is you, uh, you can't ignore, like Jesus is something missing, spiritual ingredient. You can't treat it like that. He wants everything. Well, let's look at the imagery one more time. Go back to the first half of this verse, Revelation 13, 1. And I saw the beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Uh, who is the beast? Isn't that the question? Who is the beast? We'll have to go back to chapter 12 for just a moment. Just really one verse, but the previous chapter, look at this. Here it is. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. This is key to understanding when chapters were put into the Bible. I don't know why they split it here with chapter. In my humble opinion, uh, probably wrong, but in my humble opinion, this should be in the next chapter uh, there. But it's in the last of the other chapter, chapter 12. Uh, and what does it say? Who is the dragon that we saw through chapter 12? It is Satan, the devil. The evil one, the fallen angel. John is seeing Satan as this old ancient dragon. And what is he standing on? What does it say it's standing on? He's standing on the sea, on the sand of the sea. You need to grasp this imagery. Write this down. This is important. The dragon represents Satan. The dragon represents Satan here. This is not the beast. This is the dragon. We'll get to the beast in a second. And then, look, the sand represents humanity. Now, this is an open-handed thing. There's some scholars that say, no, uh, this uh, represents something else out there. They're not sure what. But this is when the Bible talks about great numbers of people. It uses the analogy or the imagery of sand. Uh, you know, when God says, hey, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand of the sea. This is what it's talking about. Remember, we are back at the first of Revelation, uh, chapter 13, the first of uh, the uh, tribulation time so at this point there are no christians what he's talking about is he stands on humanity the ones that are left on the earth uh, i want you to get this picture in your head satan the dragon is standing on the seashore uh, of the people of the earth you got that picture 
The rapture has already occurred. Here it is. Look at this. Look at verse 1 where it gives us another clue of who the beast is, the monster is. Look at the description one more time. And I saw the beast coming up out of the sea. So the dragon is standing on the side of the sea and and he is Satan. He's standing on the people and there's the sea in front of me and then he draws something out, the beast out of the sea. You with me? He's drawing it up, and then the beast had ten horns and seven heads. Now, this is huge because it corresponds back directly to an identity back in the previous chapter. You see how he's doing this? Look, Jesus is revealing this to uh, the Apostle John in chapter 12, verse 3. Then the another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red, say it with me, dragon, having seven heads and Ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Do you see this? It is identical to the beast. This is Satan's description when he went to war with God in heaven back before the world was created. Don't let this confusion confuse you. In fact, let's look at the second half of verse 1, chapter 13. Look at this. This. It says, it goes on to describe the beast that's being drawn up out of the sea. He says, on its horns were what? Ten crowns, you remember? And on its heads were blasphemous names. It is that picture from chapter 12. We know, by the way, I don't know if you have noticed this, uh, but we have gone... uh, we have gone one verse into our series. I just, you know, all of that for one verse, I'd hoped like we'd knock a chapter down. It looks like we're going to knock a verse down. I'm hoping we can cover more ground clearly. Uh, but let me say this. When I go jeeping, um, uh, and everything's a jeep analogy, right? Uh, when I go jeeping and I go up a steep part of the mountain, one that you could, you could like tump over, you know what we do is we, we let the air out of our tires. Believe it or not, we let the air out so the tires can and kind of grab the rocks better. We we put uh, we put it in four wheel drive low, and we put it in first gear, and we lock all the tires in, and so they'll turn exactly together. And we go slow, and we climb a mountain because we can't climb it fast. But we climb the mountain. That's what we're doing right now. We're in. We're locked in low. You got it? Got it? Satan is the dragon standing on the, uh, the sand of the sea, but he is also calling up something out of the sea. What is it? The Antichrist or the beast? This will make more sense in coming weeks, but I want you to see this. The beast is a physical man who has been possessed by Satan. Some of you just took a a look to see where the exit was, right? Some of you, you look, you go, can I get out of it? We're, we're just looking at what Scripture says. You could hear a pin drop, couldn't you? Let me address something that many of you have been struggling with in Revelation. Um, this is not the first time the beast has been mentioned uh, in the Bible. No, 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 the beast has been taught about a ton. In, in fact, but most Christians don't know about it, but in fact it is there. Uh, most of what we know about the beast or uh, what we call the Antichrist is written long before the book of Revelation is revealed. The apostle Paul talks about it to the church of Thessalonica. Look at this, Second Thessalonians 2 uh, verse 5. Paul says, don't you remember that we... When I was still with you, I used to tell you about this. He said, don't, don't you remember? We've talked about this over and over. The beast, the, the Antichrist. He says, and you know what currently restrains him 
so that he will not be revealed in his time. Now, we're going to unpack this in the future, but my point is, the Christians, the early church, knew who the beast was in Scripture. They had had it taught to them. Paul was saying, don't you remember? We've been talking about this. You guys know this. you got to understand that when we talk about Scripture, many Christians don't know the Old Testament. This is one of the reasons we study the Old Testament, because that's what the the apostle says with Scripture, that's what they taught to the early Christians. In, indeed, uh, John, before he wrote this book, he, he said this, 1 John 2, 18, he said, Children, it is the last hour, meaning the time is near for Christ's return, and as you have been heard that the Antichrist is coming. He said, in other words, you've heard this over and over. Even now, many Antichrists have come, those who are against Christ. But this we know that this is the last, by this we know that this is the last hour. This is the last age, in other words. So where do we look for who this guy is, the Antichrist? Well, uh, there's a ton. Let's hit a few of these quickly. We're going to have to move quickly through this. Uh, We're going to unpack these in the future, but the Old Testament book of Daniel uh, is our guide here. The prophet Daniel says in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 8, he says, While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one came up among them. You just got to get this picture. He's having a revelation, a a vision like John had had. This is much earlier, uh, more than a thousand years. And he's saying, look, I want you to see this is something. Uh, He says, I'm seeing this. And then he's describing what he's seeing. And then he says, a little one came up among them. He's talking like a horns on like a goat or like a ram. Does that make sense? And three of the first horns were uprooted before the little horn, before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human and the mouth that was speaking arrogantly. He's talking about the beast, the antichrist that would we're talking about, this is talking about that same thing. Now, I want you to see this, Daniel 8. Jump ahead a chapter, verse 23. Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, a ruthless king, hello? A ruthless king, skilled in intrigue, will come to the throne. This is just another foreshadowing. Now, these are just kind of pictures. Now, we're going to jump to chapter 11, and this is going to be a little bit longer. Hang with me, and we're going to unpack this just a little bit more. Look at verse 36 of chapter 11, Daniel. Then the king will do whatever he wants, talking about the Antichrist. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. Notice little g god. And he will say outrageous things against the god, big g god of gods. It's going to say outrageous things. He will be successful until the time of wrath is complete. The time of wrath. Any guesses? That is the seven years of tribulation. Because what he has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his fathers. The God desired by women or for any other God. Because he will magnify himself above all. Instead, he will Honor a God of fortresses, a God his fathers did not know. With gold and silver, precious stones and riches, he will deal with the strongest fortress with the help of a foreign God. He will greatly honor him, greatly honor those who acknowledge him. 
making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. Listen, we could preach the series right here, brothers and sisters, uh, but we're going to come back to this in the series. Over time, we're going to unpack this. This is the key to understanding the book of Revelation right here. I want us to understand this is the beast. Just take a few things, write these down in your notes. This is some things, not, uh, this is not a total description of the beast. It's just going to give us kind of a flavor of who we're talking about. We'll get us started. This is under, important to understand as we move forward. Here it is. The beast will say outrageous things against God. He will claim the Bible is not the inspired word of God. He'll say things like, oh, it's just a collection of old letters, poems. Sure, it's got great allegories. It's got some meaning, but it is not God's word. It is not holy. And he will strip away the holiness of God in the way he talks. He will call people who had claimed to be Christians all their life, but had missed the rapture. They, were, they knew who Jesus was, but they did not have a relationship. They had missed the rapture. They will turn to this man as the Christ, if you will. They'll say, well, we think you are the Son of God. Write this down. The beast will be successful until the end of the tribulation. Especially the first half of the tribulation. He'll be very, very successful. Back in Revelation 6, we saw the beast, the Antichrist, will bring peace to Jerusalem. Where we've never been able to have peace. He brings peace to Jerusalem. Everybody else is trying to destroy Jerusalem. The Antichrist being, brings peace, at least for a season, but then later on, he's going to turn on them. After the rapture, there will be likely massive economic collapse. Think about it. If all the Christians in the United States suddenly disappeared, boom, in the blink of an eye, what would happen? Well, the place is already going bad, right? Sin would reign, but I'm talking about an economic collapse unlike anything we've ever seen. What we believe the beast, the Antichrist, will do is be able to bring the economy back, civilization back from the edge of total collapse. Now, this is important to understand. This is interesting. He will be able to successfully calm the storm of why all the Christians are missing. He'll be able to say, some kind of reason why the Christians are missing. Who knows what he'll say. But people will believe him. Look at this. I want you to see this. The beast will probably be of mixed Jewish, European, Persian, and Arab descent. It could be other things on that. But we think this is going to be uh, his mixture of his race. He's going to be a very worldwide guy. Among other nationalities in there. Here, write this down. The beast will say all religions are the same. He'll say, hey, you know what? All religions have some truth in them. And he'll say things like, oh, there's one God and all the different religions are just different ways to get to God. He'll use illustrations like uh, 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 saying, uh, it's like blind men around an elephant and each one is describing the elephant they're touching. Well, this side is hard and this side has a trunk and you're, they're just all describing one God. He said they're all legit in their own right. By the way, the Antichrist, I may have step on some toes, will approve of a certain bumper sticker. He'll love it. 
It will say, coexist and have all the symbols of all the different religions. He'll say, that's a great way. Put that on your car. Some of you are like panicked, right? You're thinking, hey, go out and peel that off my car. You should, you should, because it's like a princess bride. I do not think that thing means what you think it means. It is not a good thing. It is very, very evil. All right, here's what I want you to see. The beast will only trust military force. I want you to understand something. The reason why governments can collect taxes is they have a gun. And the reason that uh, some governments last and others uh, don't, why? Because, because they have military force, right? He's going to believe in military force. That is going, at least early on, going to be his God. He'll look like a man of peace, but he'll be a man of war. Can I just say money can purchase a lot of force and that the Antichrist God, he will seem to be a person of peace at least in the first three and a half years, but the second three and a half years, he won't be. Because here's what we also know from that. Just that little set of verses, the beast will attack Jerusalem that he brought peace to. The beast will attack Jerusalem by force. In other words, he'll use military force. We'll see this in coming weeks. Look at this. The beast will introduce a previously unknown religion and a new way to worship. Now, boy, I wish I could go there right now. This should make your skin crawl. You're going to see stuff in this series, in this part, volume three of the series, that is going to scare you to death. Are you going to see this big in coming weeks? Here we go. The beast will, uh, will, will be a leader who unites the world's governments. They will be a a leader who unites the world's government. Uh, he's going to be a political uh, kingmaker. He's going to be able to unite people that have never been, reun- uh, been united. In fact, in coming weeks, we're going to find out that he is the embodiment of all the great Gentile governments of the past. Rome, Greece, Persia, Babylon. And what I find incredibly interesting is that this individual is clearly will be led by Satan who will enter him. You're going to see this. But that this man will be achieve great things on his own before Satan enters him. Now, I know some of you are struggling with this. Hang with me. Some believe, uh, oh, let me just say this, let me say this. Uh, some believe because of this also that he will be very handsome, uh, similar to me, you know, yeah, uh, no, no the, he'll be handsome, uh, he'll be charismatic, people will be drawn to him. Now, some of you, like I was saying, struggle with the physical, real person being possessed by Satan, and yet we see it in all through Scripture. Uh, for instance, uh, Scripture tells us Judas was a physical man who uh, had Satan enter him, and once Satan entered him, uh, He's called the son of prediction, perdition. He sells Jesus out, the son of God who had only loved and cared him for him, sold him out to death for how much? 30 pieces of silver? Let's address something here because you may struggle with this idea. Look at our verse again. And I saw a beast coming up from the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads. Here's what you need to know, what you need to understand. The sea represents the abyss, hell. 
Now stay with me. You may not get this all right on this week. Some will say, no, it represents an ocean of people. I doubt that uh, because we think the sand does. Some will say, no, this is governments. Uh, Where does this evil come from? Well, we say it's Satan, but Scripture uses the sea uh, many times as turmoil. It treats the ocean like uh, the unknown. It's where we get, uh, do you remember the old maps? They would say uh, at the edge of the sea, beyond here be monsters, right? This is where that comes from is Scripture. I want to argue that the abyss, also called the pit, is hell itself, the home of fallen angels. It is the place that when demons were cast out by Jesus himself, they would beg. They say, hey, send us into the pigs. Just don't send us into the pit. You remember that? It is the place where we're going to find in weeks, uh, coming weeks, that that Satan uh, uh, is allowed by God to release 200 million plus demons out of the abyss. Do you understand why the tribulation is so bad? Christians are gone. God has withdrawn his hand with Christians being right there. There is a growing revival, but all this evil is released at the same time. In Romans 10, when the Apostle Paul quotes Deuteronomy 30, verse 13, he says, who will descend down into the abyss? Same word. My point is that God allows Satan to have even more full access during the tribulation. Satan calls some deep, dark stuff out of this into, uh, into this man. He's a physical man and something that Satan draws up, either himself or some horrible angel, enters this man to become the Antichrist. To close our time, I want us to go back to the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But this time in verse 7, look at, uh, we looked at verse 6 already. Verse 7 says this, For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. He's talking about the Antichrist. But the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one, the beast, will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. Praise God. And will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles and signs and wonders. Do you see this? Do you see this? The good news here is that Jesus destroys the Antichrist. Jesus wins. The beast is called the Antichrist because he will deceive many Indeed, Jesus himself told us this. He said, watch out. You remember this from Matthew 24, verse 23? He says, if anyone tells you then, see, here it is. He is the Messiah. Or over here, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note. I have told you in advance. We have the warning from Jesus. Everything good God does in created, there's an evil version of it. Did you hear me? Everything good God does, there is an evil version of it. For every Abel, there is a Cain. For every Peter, there's a Judas. And there's a false Messiah because there is a real Jesus. But Jesus, make no mistake, wins. 
We're going to see that there will be an Antichrist arise. Could he be alive right now? That's the question. Uh, Possibly. But what concerns me more is this. The state of Christians in the American and European churches. There are only two teams. Team Jesus and Team Satan. What team are you on? How many Christians sit in church week after week and think that they are Christians? i got to tell you, that is a nightmare for pastors to think. There are people sitting in my congregation that I preach over week after week thinking, I'm going to heaven, but in reality, they have no relationship with the real Christ. It's the worry of all good pastors. The only thing that I know of that can change the lives is the Word of God. Here's what I think. I think God is coming to use this series um, to call some of you from death to life. And then, and then I want to, you to know there's some of you that are stuck in your faith that God is going, you, you need to understand the time is urgent. Jesus is returning. Wake up. This is a war. This is good versus evil. And some of you are stuck and he's going to call you to action because the time is short. I don't know when Jesus will return with his church, but I know if he doesn't return in the next 30 to 40 years, I, I know many of you will be gone. Praise God, we'll be, we'll be home. Are you ready to meet your maker? We're finding who his character is here, who Jesus is. Here's what we know. Satan is a spirit being. He does not have a physical body. He has a spirit body, meaning every time Satan works in a physical earth, he has to use something. You remember with Adam and Eve, what was it? It was the serpent, right? There are only two teams. You're either on Satan's team and, hear me, he is using you. He may not possess you, but he's using you. Or you're on team Jesus. Jesus does have a body. John tells us in John uh, one four that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the uh, image of the invisible God. He has a body even now. Jesus came to earth to redeem the lost, to pay for the sins of all God gave him. Indeed, when we become his by surrendering our lives to Jesus' lordship, God the Father sends the Holy Spirit into the lives of the believer. And when this happens, life change happens. Folks, you're going to see life change in your life. Are you one of his? Are you one of Jesus's? Next week we'll see what the beast begins to do, what it looks like, and how it contrasts with the real Christ. It's exciting. Will you sign on for this series? Let's pray.